When I'm feeling blue and when I'm feeling low, then I start to think about the happiest man I know. He doesn't mind the snow and he doesn't mind the rain, but all December you will hear him at your window pane. Live from getting all comfy on Santa's lap because we have been very good this year. That's if you can get on Santa's lap. Good luck finding that this year. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 285, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. And we won't be discussing postal stationery paper colors because Cash isn't here. He's <laughs> off in California doing his thing. Let's just discuss postal stationery thickness. Uh, no. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So what are we going to discuss? Um, the best thing that we got in 2020. So why don't we go around the table, I guess. All right. You first. <coughs> oh, it's supposed to be me last. Uh, the best thing I think I got in 2020 is uh, not COVID-19. Well, I didn't get it either. Although... Um, I Please tell get, me that's not on your Christmas list. No, it's not. <laughs> um, although I have done some uh, some measuring for somebody who has actually helped me fill out a, a lot of a uh, reference collection of uh, Liberty stamps. So I got, a, I got quite a few Liberties, including some color varieties now that I have as references that I didn't previously have. So that's probably the best thing I got. Well, Stamp related anyway. Well, that's fun. I still got to put more of them in the reference collection. It's like I got like a whole stack of them that I was given before last week. I'm like, ah, I got to put more in. Ah. So, Scott? Yeah, me. Um, well, I got a couple of things. I got a number 75 in the fiery red shade, which some people say doesn't exist. But um, it looks really cool. It's... That was something that uh, wasn't on my list, but I saw it, and it was a good deal, so I had to get it. And, uh, and then I got um, a whole collection of um, number ones of Great Britain on cover. That's cool. So, yeah, it was interesting looking at all the other postal markings that are on the covers and, and finding out that some of them are less than common. So that was fun. Albert, how about you? Oh, I had, it depends on what we're talking about. If it's something that I'm going to sell, I think the most exciting thing in which that I was able to buy was a five-cent Hawaiian missionary with a uh, pair of uh, U.S. number 11s, the three centers, as a paste-over cover. In fact, it's the uh, latest known missionary cover. I happened to buy that in the Middendorf sale at uh, Robert E. Siegel Auction Galleries. It's an exciting item, and like, like uh, virtually all missionary covers, it's been repaired or restored in one way. It, uh, it actually, when it was founded, the uh, three-cent stamps were pasted over the missionary, and it was sent to an expert restorer who restored the three-cent pair and moved it off to one side. It does have a, a recent uh, Philatelic Foundation certificate. And then the, the best thing I bought for my collection was something that was stolen from me in 1996, and that's a, uh, a Guam 3-cent and a Guam 2-cent on a uh, Navy Department penalty envelope going to Barcelona, Spain. 
And that's an absolutely commercial UPU usage, and so that's exciting. So those are, the, those are two of the things that I was able to get this year. How about you, Mark? Uh, I think uh, the most exciting thing I got was a Hawaii number no. 7, which is the, has the uh, numeral 5 written in script on top of the 13 cent, um, which I was really pleased to get um, because, uh, oddly enough, that one of the effects of COVID it has had is that people are paying more attention to their stamp collections. So it's much more difficult to buy things at auction because everybody's uh, uh, working on their stamp collections. So and, and um, no stamp shows at and there's, and there's no the stamp shows there. So yeah, so so yeah, stamp, online stamp auctions uh, are the only way to go. Um, so yeah, I was I was actually very pleased to get it. Uh, it was it's a really nice copy. Um, doesn't have all four margins, but um, but still, it's a, it, it's a great looking stamp. Yeah, that stamp exists because they ran out of the five cent stamps in 1850, early 1857. So the postmaster surcharged them in pen five cents on the 13 cent stamp to pay for the five cent local postage. So you got an excellent copy. I remember seeing it. I just I couldn't pay as much as you could because I actually want to resell it. Right. <laughs> and how many different people actually did the numeral? Wrote that numeral. At least three three different people. Yeah. We actually, we actually have identified the two postmasters and the one postmaster assistant. Uh, in one case, it was uh, Postmaster Jackson died in office. So he had his, his fives are actually, they look like they're written by a man who's, who's dying. I mean, they're, they're shaky and all that. Hmm. And some, they were, for a while, a number of people thought they were counterfeit, but they were proven to be genuine. That was uh, something the Hawaii Book Project did back in the, in the early 80s. And they're all uh, in black ink, right? There's no. Yes, they're all in black ink. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like me and you actually tried to get one off an envelope and actually ble- somewhat bleached the five out. The problem is, is that it, the stamp I was trying to take off the envelope didn't belong on the envelope. And uh, uh, the, the kind of glue that, that, uh, that the uh, 1853 uh, issues have is, is animal glue. It's like boiled down bull, uh, cat, uh, bull skins, uh, cow skins. So it's very sticky. And so even if you soak it in something, a lot of times the glue doesn't come off or a large part of it doesn't. Hmm. So didn't we say we wanted you wanted us to talk about what we do when we, uh, when we uh, look at stamps? Yeah, we had, uh, before we started recording, we started getting into a conversation about uh, what kind of things do you listen to or stuff like that when you're when you're working on stamps to kind of so what kind of atmosphere do you like yeah other than dark <laughs> <laughs> well yeah we all know we like dark live from the stamp cave uh well i like to listen to classical music i find it very relaxing and and uh it frees my mind from it, it provides atmosphere and background noise um, without being too intrusive into my thought processes. And, um, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll uh, watch a movie, but um, I find if, it's, if, it's, if there's a video component to it, I'll, I'll turn around and want to see that, like, that the best parts of the movie if I know what the movie is or if I haven't seen the movie I'll want to watch more of it so that that's just too distracting um, talk radio is another good option 
um, or actually any radio. Doesn't have to be talk radio. It can be music, anything, uh, as long as there's no video component to it. I find when I look at it, I find that I'll go and turn on a movie that I might have seen ten or twelve times. An example of that is the Steven Spielberg 2012 uh, movie Lincoln. I've seen it so many times. I know the dialogue, so I don't need to look at the. I don't need to have to look at the video part of it. But I I like listening to scenes, um, especially when they're debating the 13th Amendment. It, that, to me, is a very inspiring thing to listen to. And uh, also, uh, especially Tommy Lee Jones, who played um, Congressman Thaddeus Stevens. Um, I thought that was very interesting. And I actually, uh, when I, I had read the book that this was all based on, which was written by uh, 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 Doris Stearns Goodwin about uh, the Lincoln and team of rivals, talking about how his uh, cabinet was all made of people that had run against him for president, like uh, Seward became the Secretary of State, Sam and Chase, who was the governor of Ohio, became his uh, Treasury Secretary, uh, Edward Bates became his uh, Attorney General. So uh, all that's based on fact. And so since I've seen the movie enough, I don't look at the video, I just listen to the, listen to, listen to the audio and that's fine. Yeah, I, I do that with certain movies. Um, things that come to mind would be like Star Wars or things like that, where uh, basically I know it so well I can just listen to it, and then uh, when I when I know a, a particularly entertaining action scene comes, I'll I'll turn around and watch it. Um, I used yeah. to have my desk positioned so that all I had to do was look up, and uh, and then I rearranged my stamp room, and and now it's, the TV is over my shoulder. That's exactly same with and, me. Uh, I don't I don't want it in front of me. I want it behind me. And uh, I mean, at one point years ago, I used to have a mirror over my desk, and the TV was directly behind me. So I'd watch things in reverse in the mirror. Um, but uh, I do find that that's a little bit... Uh, having it in front of me uh, is less distracting than having it over my shoulder, actually. I mean, some movies, I think, are really renowned for snappy uh, dialogue that I listen to. Uh, North by Northwest is one. That, uh, and and uh, another Hitchcock film, it takes uh, To Catch a Thief, the Cary Grant film. Those are ones that I've seen so many times. I don't have to, I don't have to watch watch the video, but listen to the audio is just very refreshing. Well, no, another thing, uh, if I if I do turn the TV on, a lot of times I'll I'll watch like old TV programs like Gunsmoke or the Andy Griffith Show, you know, things like that that um, you don't have to watch. You can just turn, you know, look up every once in a while and uh, see who the because you can you can tell who the characters are just from the voices, and then just when there's a a, a guest star or something on the on the show, then you just you turn around real quick to see what they look like, and that kind of flips it all into perspective in your mind. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's just a little bit of background to to. Uh, to take away the boredom. Now I don't always look at. I don't always want my room dark. A lot of times, I'll, if I take, if I especially am looking at for shades of color, I'll take the stamps home and actually look at them in early morning sunlight to get a to get a real impression of the color in sunlight. Well, I, I didn't start out looking at colors in sunlight, so um, 
my color memory is keyed to looking at it under artificial light. And so I don't necessarily have to do that. So I, I can do it any time of the day, just as long as I have the, the consistent light source from my desk. Well, all of us use those full spectrum lamps, but it's... Um, um, they almost, they're different, though. So, you know, the ones that with the tube lights are different from the LED lights, and they're... So it does make a difference. Some are warmer and cool, or cooler than others. And I mean, the one I, the hot light I have is LED based on my desk at home, but uh, I can adjust it from warm to cool to, to full spectrum. And um, I'm not saying one's necessarily more useful than the other, but it does help to be able to adjust it like that. And uh, I think I probably have a little more preference toward the cooler side sunlight would be more toward the full spectrum warmer side well i still think the best way to look at colors is um is with a with a good good reference item with a good reference item and a and a moderate magnification yeah i uh i really like the art of taking the artificial light with me to stamp shows because um when you're going from dealer booth to dealer booth they have different lamps you know, and, 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 you know, maybe not on purpose, but, uh, but, you know, they're all different, different uh, spectrums of light. So sometimes it is on purpose. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, so I, I find that by, if by having my own portable light source, which is, uh, which is, um, uh, um, you know, you know rechargeable. Yeah. But it's yeah, consistent. You get a from... Yeah. You get a consistent color every time. So when you're looking at the stamps, you can really, you know, you can really focus in on the color. Yeah. And if you use that when you're at home, yeah. You know, then, then your brain becomes calibrated, basically. Right. I've been known to bring one of those uh, artificial power sources, and then bring my lamp. And people are wondering why am I pushing it on a cart? You know, one of the ones that are basically an auto battery, uh-huh. but it has has um, has one ten. And then I'll bring, and then I'll bring my, I'll bring my, my, the light source I use. Mm-hmm. And dealers hate that sometimes because they, <laughs> they go, "Why did you bring that?" And I said, "I want to see it. Like I want to see it." I said, "Not how you want me to see right. it." Right. Yeah. Well, I've, and I've had dealers tell me that they don't have lights on their table. Oh, it's deliberate on purpose. Yeah. It's not. It's not for nothing that stamp shows are also known by the euphemism coal mines. <laughs> yeah, they can be dark. Well, and, you know, usually the lights are so far above your head, and they're all fluorescent, which, of course, is... Not helpful. Not helpful. Not a natural color. Yeah, there's nothing worse than if uh, to seeing a collector holding a light, light, holding a stamp, trying to hold it as high as he can to see it, and the fluorescent light, which is all the way over his head by 20 or 30 feet, and I, I'm going... Yeah, because they're trying to see whether it's hinged or not. Right, or they're <laughs> trying to see if it has a watermark or something like that. Anything. Yeah, it's it's uh, it can be battlefield conditions at times. Ma- many of the international shows have had the worst light period. I mean, it's great selling light, but it's terrible for the collectors. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, what we do for me, I'm I, I can't watch video. Um, I'm too visual with that stuff. Even movies I have memorized. It's like. There's always some scene that it's like, oh, this is why I like this movie, and it's like, uh, exactly. That's that's why I, I don't watch video I've, all the time. I have a um, an, an open wall between our living room and where my office stuff is set up, and I actually hung a curtain rod and curtains to close it so that I can't 
if I'm doing stuff in the evening and my wife is home watching TV, I can't watch it. I close the curtain between the opening because that's the only way I could. It, I mean, it, it's twofold because one, if she's doing that, a, it helps me not watch TV, and B, we have a living room light that's right there, so it helps me keep it darker for looking at stamps. I mean, it's twofold, but it's really for me not to watch TV. And now that all the stuff is going on, it's it's threefold because it keeps the kids from watching TV if they're, you know, supposed to be doing schoolwork on their computers because that's where their desks are set up now too, so I can watch them. So, but for me, it's, you know, my. Uh, my music is uh, more children of the 80s. I'm always listening to hard rock and heavy metal and stuff like that because it's just, to me, those are the songs that I grew up with. They're the songs I know really, really well. Although it, it depends on my mood. I'll listen to country. I'll listen to, you know, like rock and roll or all, all sorts of different genres. So that's my thing, just music. What about Mark? Uh, I kind of the same thing as um, as Scott. I'll I'll listen to music or I'll listen to movies that I've seen before because um, in your mind's eye you can picture the movie while the dialogue is going on, so you relive the story with it and and still be able to concentrate on looking at the stand. Yeah, and of course, like Tom said, you got to turn around for the best part, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I envy you, you guys. Like the, can... You mean like the Death Star blowing up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I envy you guys for stuff like that because, you know, a scene comes on and I'm like, squirrel! <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, I, can't, I can't not look. We'll just call you Jeff. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so. Speaking about movies, um, I was watching a trailer yesterday for a movie called Nobody, which stars uh, Bob Odenkirk, who's the, who's the, uh, um, the Saul from, uh, from Breaking Bad. And uh, there's a point and, be in, and better call Saul and better call Saul. <laughs> and uh, there's a point in the movie where the character is looking at valuable things, and uh, and there's a two second portion where he's looking at stamps, um, actually through, uh, through uh, holding it up to a light, and so you can visibly see a, a number thirty nine and a number one sixteen, um, but they're very obviously reperforated with big gigantic perfs, and uh, it seems to me like. The prop department in Hollywood does that on purpose, emphasizes these big perfs to make it, uh, you know, to make it very obvious that it's a stamp. That's a stamp. <laughs> right. And, and I noticed that, like, in the, uh, in, the uh, in Disneyland, when you go on the Small World ride, at the end of the ride, um, they show uh, these uh, blown up postcards that are yeah. stuck on the wall, and they all are franked with stamps with very exaggerated uh, perforation, you know, with big perforation holes. Um, and I just find that odd that, that that's Hollywood's well, like take on If you, sh if you shrink it down, it'd be like per five and a half. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so that that's just uh, kind of strange to me. The perf that you can throw a football through. Right, exactly. So uh, I, I remember uh, some years back when uh, I was at a stamp show and they there was a panel of, um, of stamps that were used in Hollywood movies. Um, you know, different you know letters and so forth and that kind of thing. That yeah, would have been cool exhibit to see yeah i had i had for a um a year when we still lived in california i had uh, annual passes to knott's berry farm and i was very surprised to go into um one of their exhibits they have a lot of they have a lot of old california history stuff in separate in different buildings throughout the park that kind of show things and one of the things i found was they actually have a 
pin board in there, a uh, cork board in there, and mounted to this cork board are all sorts of letters with stamps on it. And I'm like, hey, let me check all these out. Yeah. Very surprised to find postal history in Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in looking at that um, at, at the stamps from that movie, if you go to uh, YouTube and look up Nobody's Movie uh, or Nobody Movie, the official trailer, I think it's um, uh, almost three minutes or so, um, skip to two minutes, five seconds, between two minutes, five five seconds, and two minutes, six seconds, and you'll see the, um, the, the, the um, postage. When is this movie supposed to open? Uh, I think it's February. 2032. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you think, how do you think the, uh, the, when do you think we're going to get the vaccine, and how do you think that will affect, uh, affect us? The stamp business, stamp collecting hobby. Well, if it means we can have shows again, it'll be hopefully a good thing. Yeah. I I can see that there will be changes. Um, I personally know at least a couple of dealers who have decided that even, it, even after this is all said and done, they're not going to fly. They're, they're gonna, they'll only be driving to shows from now on. Um, which means they'll be able to take more stock, but at the same time, it also means that you know East and West are going to be further apart. So you're not going to see as many West Coast dealers on the East Coast and vice versa. So when the APS has their SAM show, usually in August, it's going to be hopefully, people. Uh, and hopefully they will choose more middle of the country, geographically anyway, more middle of the country venues rather than more coastal venues. Now, it's already been stated that they don't know with the vaccine. They know it prevents a severe case of the disease. But it doesn't prevent it. It just minimizes the effects. It, it, is increase, what it, it increases said. the amount of antibodies that you carry for it. But they do say that even if you get the vaccine, that, that mask wearing will be mandatory for at least another eight months to a year. Uh, my personal views on masks are not necessarily in agreement with our governor here, but uh. the, the the reason why is is that just because just because you get the vaccine doesn't mean that you can't pass the vac the, well, the virus. Well, the, the thing is, I I think the virus is actually so small that most most of the masks that people make for themselves only stop a small fraction of the virus anyway. Well, the, the real study that was done at the CDC was actually how long are you in the presence of somebody that has the virus? It does increase well, yes. the amount, of, amount yes. of time you can be exposed and not get it. Yes, um, yes, I, I will agree with that. And I would say that... Uh, and it's, it and depends it's, on whether or not your mask is crocheted, though. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it also... De- uh, masks are more for preventing you transmitting it versus you ingesting it absolutely so um you know masks are much more important if you have the virus than they are if you don't have it but here it here it uh the problem is we don't know who has it and who doesn't well at least here in here at psc slash southern nevada we're kind of like our own little bubble basically yeah you know a they say a lot of people are getting it, but then you look at the numbers and you look at the population and you go, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. The numbers, the percentage numbers are so, so small of how many people have gotten it. 
that well, uh, all my clients don't want to see me until they've gotten the vaccine. I under I, <laughs> I can understand, and I think part of the tactics is scare tactics. Well, I, I I will say I will say it's a totally different way to do business. I know Mark has had great advantage t- taking great advantage of it, and on the other hand, I've I've suffered because I do most of my sales in person and at the shows. I I agree. Although I, I, you know, I've started. But I, selling. I like to do my buying in person, though. So that's oh, absolutely. I haven't been able to buy stuff. Absolutely, so. buying in person is the way to go. Um, I I have no problem selling online. I have no problem selling online uh, because I know what I have. But um, and I don't mind buying online, but I don't like buying lots. I'll buy individual items that are described and pictured individually, but I don't like to buy lots. I don't right. like to be online. And that's, that may be it's, just me. Yeah, it's tough to bid aggressively on something like that. Yeah. I, I got a box full of stuff. Please bid. Uh, well, I'd like to see and make an estimate in my own mind what I think I can pay for that, either to resell or for my collection or for whatever reason. But I want to determine... I want to look and see what's there and determine the value for myself rather than having you tell me, well, everything in the box is worth a hundred bucks. Well, if it's worth a hundred bucks, let's, you know, I want to verify that for myself. Yeah. It's almost like episodes of storage wars where well, they just, bu- you, know, <laughs> you know, they open up the gate and say, okay, here's, here's, a, here's a quick picture. You, you got, you got, a, a you got three minutes to look. Right. A uh, hundred bucks. Of stuff may be worth it for one guy, but not worth it for another guy. All right. And it depends. So I want to be able to make that determination. So I, I don't like buying lots online. Now, at auction, that's a different thing because you can sit down but prior to the auction and you can go through the lot and see what's in there before you bid. Yesterday at the Robert A. Siegel auction, there was a lot lot of 72 postal pieces of postal Hawaiian postal stationery they only pictured six of them in their in their website so I put a bid a bid in of $2,200 and uh, well, I don't know what else was in it but the lot brought 4250 with an estimate of 750 to a thousand well obviously somebody looked at the lot well I I just you I was didn't I was not because you I, didn't have a chance. I was not gonna with the with the current uh, with the current security measures that are going on in San Francisco and in New York right now. If I had been if I had been asked for my ID in in New York, they would have fined me five hundred dollars a day and then also uh, made me do a mandatory fourteen day quarantine. Well, here's my question: You said there were seventy two covers in the lot. They pictured six. Prior to the sale, if you had requested to send pictures of the rest, would they have imaged the rest of it and sent them to you? Um, a lot I know of, you. I know you can request postal viewing at times, but is, depending they on won't, how, they won't postal view a big lot. That's one of the problems. Yeah, but seventy-two covers isn't that big of a lot. I mean, that easily fits in a small envelope. Well, I, I I had asked I had asked last week or two weeks ago. So my question is this: for a and this isn't just Siegel specific, but for any company, or auction company or otherwise, if you're going to sell a lot like that, are they going to try and maximize the sale and the six covers they show are going to be the six best? Well, they were sometimes there were there were two that were very good that I figured for 
in, in a lot, I figured, each for over $200 to pay. But on the other hand, uh, when it's a mixed lot, lot of stationery, it could be just just regular usages within Honolulu. Well, that's basically boring and unsaleable. I mean, you, I've, I've seen literally a stack of a thousand of them sell in a Harmer sale for like $15 a piece, even though they catalog $50 a piece. And, and that's what, if they don't picture the lot and you can't view it, you, uh, if you're trying to make money like Albert is, uh, you have to figure them that you know what whatever's not shown is going to be that fifteen dollar type of deal. You really can't afford to take a chance. Some, I mean, maybe you can, but uh, I, I would think know. that there's so many people, so many dealers that are desperate for material that they're taking chances. I think and some are. So, and I th- I think there are more auction bidders that are collectors now. Uh, simply because people have time. Yeah. Well, my feeling is is that when I get the, when I get the vaccine and when we can, I guess really the the return of stamp shows is going to be probably sometime in September, maybe early, maybe August. But uh, when that happens, I figure that it'll become much easier. And I've always had the attitude that uh, I'll always find something else to buy. That there's there, there's always be an opportunity. So I'll just be patient. It's just it's just frustrating because, uh, you know, I, I talk to my clients, I email my clients, but as far as going to see my clients, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do that as a dealer. You don't absolutely have to have a specific item, especially, and especially it's nice to have multiple clients where not everybody's looking for the same thing. But, uh, you know, as a collector, if you're a collector of one of each, and there are some things you need and some things you don't need. And so that can drive your your focus as well. Well, I think that'll about wrap us up for today. Uh, we are not going to be having a podcast next week, so I'm not sure if Cash is going to post a rerun, which he may. But uh, we need your help. Nothing on the Internet is free, including our phone and Internet connections. You can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. Cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS number because we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. You have been listening to Stamp Show Here Today, episode number 285. This was Tom. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Albert. Merry Christmas. Have a happy holiday, everybody. And stay healthy. We'll bless the house and all. How grand it feels to clink your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no blarney, the likes you've never known. It's Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home.